You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. All right. We are on a new uh, series right here called High Places. We kind of segue. We go from one series to the next series. Uh, what kind of preacher am I? I think I'm just kind of on a journey, and I take you along with my journey with kind of somewhat no destination, but the destination is in the journey. So, <laughs> so we've gone from Gideon, how many enjoyed peace uh, in a troubled world in which we begin to unpack that. There's so much to unpack, and I could camp out in the book of Judges for a long time, and we just may go into that going into the new year, because whether you realize it or not, all of you are called deliverers here. You say, really? Yes, really. What are you called? You're called a Christian. That means you are like the Christ. Amen. So that means if you claim to be like the Christ, what is the Christ for? Christ is the bondage breaking power of God that is released to destroy the yokes that have bound you up as well as those that are within your sphere of influence where God has planted you, whether you be in school, whether you're in whatever vocation you are, wherever God has planted you, he wants you to be an effective witness, being salt and light in the world. And how many know that takes the anointing? Come on. If you do it on your own strength, then what ends up happening is you end up bitter and angry and full of anxiety like everybody else you work with. Come on, are you here? And so how many know we got to be a little bit different? We carry a different spirit about us called the spirit of Christ. Well, I, I, I don't know about that. Well, then don't call yourself a Christian. Amen. Call yourself a traditionalist or something like that. Come on. Are you here? I just like the idea. I, I kind of like that concept. You just like the idea of things. We like the idea of being called a Christian. But do we really have the power of that in which we exclaim to say that we believe that we are anointed ones? I want you to say, I'm anointed, I'm anointed. by the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, yes, you are. You're like, I said that, but I'm not sure if I believe that. You believe that. Amen. Look in the mirror. I'm anointed. You should wake up in the morning and some people say you should say, I love myself. I, I think the first thing you should do is I love the Lord and I'm anointed by him. Amen. The only thing that will produce by you talking about how you love yourself is a narcissist. And we already got enough people that love themselves. They need to redirect their love. Love the Lord even unto the death, and then he'll help you to love yourself correctly, not weirdly and narcissistically. Okay, that's part of my notes. No, it's not. I'm just teasing you here. So we're going to do a little bit of a recap. And again, this is high places, and we're going to be dealing primarily with strongholds today. And when it comes to the Christmas season, because I know it sounds like we're talking about strongholds during Thanksgiving, during this fourth quarter. Yes, we are. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that it culminates even in the reason why Jesus came. He didn't just come as a baby, but he came as a deliverer. Okay. In, in, in the stead of those in the Old Testament who they themselves were deliverers. And when we begin to see this, especially coming into the Christmas season, I can't wait to get to that. I almost want to tilt my hand to show you what there is. But the Lord has been really, I get locked up in my uh, computer room and studying the Bible and everything like that. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. And so Lord, help me to be able to unpack that. Amen. So in Judges chapter six is again, a recap in Judges chapter six, verse 25 to 26. This is in the new American standard Bible. It says, now the same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old. Watch this. And tear down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father. How many know tearing something down is bad enough, but it's 
even worse when it's your father's. That can become even more difficult. So notice the commission, the mission that was given to given to Gideon. Now, how many know if you have to make this decision, this is going to be a very difficult decision. How many know the application in the New Testament that Jesus says, if you desire to come after me, you must deny your father, or your mother. And he begins to name the closest family members that there are. And he says, if you're not willing to do that, you're not even worthy to follow me. So what this shows us is in the original intent of the gospel in the early church was one that you had to mean business with God. No easy believism like we have in this weak American church today that we live in. So we have to understand that it's not easy, greasy, graced, where you just come forward, you know, regurgitating a prayer after me, you know, with lights all dimmed under your breath. And then you go out and you live no different. The requirement is altogether different. And with the case of Gideon, he had to tear down something. And what was this? These were altars by which there was a curse that came upon them because of the decisions that they made within their life as a family, as well as a society at large. Furthermore, you tear down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Watch this and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of the stronghold in an orderly way. And sometimes in the church, we're really good. And especially as charismatics and those who believe in the spirit empowered life of the Holy Spirit, we're really good at championing, tearing down altars. We're, I mean, how many know we're a group or a church? We believe in tearing down altars. But how many know we don't just tear down altars? We are to build altars. And sometimes that's the part that's actually uh, can be more difficult than the tearing down. Uh, I remember when before I went to uh, Bethany Bible College for a season, I there was a contractor who had hired me uh, as a young person. I think I was uh, maybe 20 years old or so. Uh, he what I did when I would travel over the hill with them as a contractor, I wasn't a builder, but I would just do the grunt work of tearing things down. But I really liked it. <laughs> Taking sledgehammers and knocking down walls and knocking down. To, I love destroying things. But they wouldn't give me a hammer. They wouldn't give me a saw. I just had things that knock things down. And so sometimes to me, I thought, ooh, this is fun. Where's the next place where I can start doing demo work? I love the demo work. But how many know you can't just live in demo work? You got to build something. Right? Some Christians, they're just all about just, I want to demo something. I just want to knock things down. Give me that big sledgehammer and, you know, give me things that be able to pull things down and knock things down. You know, the call of the prophets is to tear down, to throw down, to destroy. There's four negatives to the two positives to build in the plant. And sometimes what happens, we never get to the building and planting because we're always trying to tear things down. But how many know Gideon had a call to do what? Not just to tear things down, but also to build something in the same place. You say, why is that? Because the enemy will seek to come back through those established strongholds that are in your life. And he understands it's not sufficient enough just to tear something down because the enemy will go right back to that territory within your soul to establish something. And if you have not fortified in an orderly way, as the scripture says, a defense against him with a stronghold of the Lord, guess what? He'll re-erect those same things you just tore down. And sometimes in the church, we become very professional in tearing things down, but we never commit ourselves to building something in that place. And listen, I can't do it for you. I can help you tear things down by a good come out. Come on. Are you here? Yeah. 
I can do certain things like that and I can help you and I can impart gifts and graces to, to help you in establishing and building up an altar. But that's something that you have to do through your communion with Christ. Can I say this? As good as my preaching may be, which I think is pretty just average, it's still up to you to have a communion life. It's insufficient to just get a message on a Sunday morning without a devotional life with Christ. One of the ways that I determine whether someone themselves are a person who's actually building something, I'll ask them, where are you reading? What's the latest reading? Because all of us as disciples, that means we're always students. We never arrived to where we're just a teacher. The best teachers that there are are ones that chiefly are first students. Always remember that. And that has to do everything with uh, uh, our pursuit after Christ. We're always a student in the things of God. That which we receive, we give to others. But if we're not receiving, we can't give to others. So many people are trying to give things, but they're never a student. The things that I give you isn't just because, you know, I jap GPS or whatever on a, a sermon. Is that how, did I say it right? Say again. Chat. Yeah, that. I wanted to say GPS. I think I need a GPS right now. <laughs> Okay, all those things can help and assist, but it comes out of the life of the relationship of Christ that we have present, what he's doing now, not resting on the cut hams of the past. Come on, are you here? I love that. That was such a perfect textbook analogy. You know, even when you look at certain creeds, like we had some person come into the church not too long ago, and first thing out of their mouth was, do you believe in the Apostles' Creed? And I'm sitting there, and it was kind of an off-the-wall question. Hi, my name is Robert. Do you believe in the Apostles' Creed? I'm like, okay, do you, uh, yes, we believe in the Trinity. Is that what, what's, And really, oftentimes, these creeds of the past, it answered a heresy that was in the church that long ago, which we're not dealing today. We've got past that, right? But some people are so, they, uh, they don't understand contextually, they don't understand uh, original intent of why actually a creed was needed because there was a heresy that in local churches as well as the ecumenical at large. And so we've gotten past those certain things. But all that to say this, what happens is we end up uh, following after all these creeds and all these things of the past in which they serve their purpose in their time, but we're way past those things. God is a God of the now. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The things that he did yesterday, he'll do today. And sometimes we do need to shake our, I love that song. We need to shake ourselves free, especially in the time. And listen, I love the traditions. I love the nostalgia of these things. But how many know in the traditions of things, you can lose the truth of it. And it becomes not about the truth of the tradition, but about the tradition in and of itself. Amen. It's true. I love that example. How come we cut it off? Have to go all the way back to original intent. Well, that's because we had small ovens back in the day. We had to cut off the ham. Oh, therefore, we no, need, no longer need to do that. Does that make sense? So it's finding out the truth of the traditions. Amen. So this is why, you know, really, you can't confine me to uh, I, I, I'm Protestant. I'm Methodist. I'm, I'm you name them. I'm all the, I'm the re of what God was speaking during those particular times by which it was life giving. Not necessarily all the traditions that came past those things, but I'm all those things of what God was doing in that generation. And everyone says, oh, that was for free. Hallelujah. Now watch this. 
and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold in an orderly way. It doesn't just say build a stronghold, build a stronghold in an orderly way. That means have a defense by which the enemy wants to come to that same place to reestablish himself. Because how many know even in the New Testament, he waits until a more opportune time. What is the opportune time? The opportune time is the time in which you fail to build an altar or in that place of that stronghold. Right? But when he comes at an opportune time, he goes, man, I tried to get in here. I tried to get in here. I'm trying to get in under and over. He's got an orderly defense against me. I have nothing I can find on the inside of him by which I can now begin to traffic in and out of his life. Because you've built an altar. You've built on the place where the enemy had a stronghold within your life. Freely have you received, freely you give. You can never give something that you haven't received, and everyone says. So the requirement is that the curse must be removed or torn down before the blessing comes upon your life. Many people want the blessing to come while altars are still erected within their life. They like the idea of being set free, but they don't like the requirement of it. Mm, I should have got more amens out of that. It tells me you didn't get it. I like the idea of it, but we're so affectionate towards the strongholds. We have such a nice, oh, but it's so nostalgic. Oh, but it was my fan. And we look at it as a type of memorabilia. By which we cleave to those things, failing to recognize beyond the, the, the nostalgia or the traditions of it. It actually is a spiritual way by which the enemy has access to your life. And then we go, God, why are all these things happening? Because you didn't tear down and you didn't build the right thing. This is why the early church, and we'll begin to see even with Jesus as well as with the Apostle Paul, particularly in Acts chapter 19. These are people that were all in when they committed in a covenant relationship, not a contract, but a covenant relationship with Christ. Things moved and things shifted by which the enemy had no longer access. And furthermore, two thirds of the New Testament is task theology. How do you live this life? Once you've been set free, now how do you live? This is why here in in Freedom House, it's all about getting free. Living free and setting others free. It's a divine process that you see. Old Testament as well as New Testament. And the Apostle Paul writes letters. This is how you live free. And everyone says. And the tearing down. We find out in the book of Exodus chapter 34 verse 13. But rather. Uh, rather you are to tear down. Say tear down. tear down. It says tear down their altars and smash their memorial stones and cut down their, their asherim. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 3. And again, this is Israel about to go into the promised land. The requirement of living in the promised land. All of us have a promised land. These are the requirements. God can get you into the promised land, but you have to live according to his requirements while you're in that place of the promised land. Some of us want to go into the promised land, but still live like we still live a lifestyle as if we're in the wilderness. Complaining, bickering. Even God had a problem with that. He says, these 10 times you've complained. And so therefore, guess what? You're not going in. So you cannot go into the promised land without having a disposition and the spirit of being thankful in all things. It's not that he caused all things, but you can still be thankful in all things. And everyone says, and it says this in Deuteronomy, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces, their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. 
you shall top, uh, chop down their carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You say, why is, is, is God so adamant by which he demands this type of a destruction? The reason why is because deities have access to the place that you've built memorials to them. You see, when you fail to tear those things down, he still has access to those places. So he understands for your well-being that you need to destroy those things. Therefore, he has no longer access to this. Again, we see this even in Acts chapter 19, that those who came confessing their sins, what did they do? They also began to bring all their artifacts and different things that were given up into sorcery, into witchcraft and all these things. Why? Because the enemy had access through these things. And so for the destroying of these things vanquished, and that was a complete tearing down of those things. Now there needs to be building of the right things within your life. And everyone says, you see, sometimes in the church, what we do is we emphasize the tearing down of things, but we fail to emphasize the building up of the right things within our life. And so God wants things torn down in our life, but we need to take personal responsibility in order to build the right things. So we emphasize tearing down strongholds. But did you know that within the scripture, there are actually right strongholds you're supposed to have? And this is the part that I want to emphasize also with regards to the strongholds is it's not all evil or all negative. There are actually strongholds called the stronghold of the Lord that were to establish within our life. But we become so demon centric or sometimes we become so negative aspect of the strongholds that we fail to sit there and rise up in the strength of he is the stronghold of my life. So it's not doing away with a stronghold by which there are no strongholds. He then himself becomes our stronghold in Jesus name. Oh, I'm getting happy and I'm trying not to explode. It says you shall chop down their carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. So there's no longer memorials or memorabilia of those things. There are generally four strongholds, as we spoke about, that need to be discerned before they're torn down in a person's life. We showed you national strongholds. We elaborated on that. How many remember the next one? Regional. I know Josiah on fire. He knows this one. The third one is local strongholds. And then what is the fourth one? Family strongholds. And in this right here, Gideon hits all four of them right there. This was not just a family altar. But it was an altar at society on a local level, as well as the tribe, as well as we see all of Israel as a nation was given over to this. And so this was a stronghold that needed to be dealt with. And this requires the strength of God and it requires the word of the Lord. Say the word of the Lord. Because if this is just a fanciful idea that you have or a dream, you see, most people don't have dreams. They just have lusts. And they confuse the two. Boy, that was a Holy Ghost one right there. Let me say that again. <laughs> I had a dream of the Lord. No, it was probably a lust of yours. Why? Because you're unconsecrated in that area. You've never consecrated yourself to the Lord. So all it is is love. I want the blessing of God on my terms. No, that's just a lust that you have. But you're not willing to commit yourself to the ways of the Lord and the word of the Lord. So Gideon, he didn't just have a dream. It was the word of the Lord. Most Americans, they don't have dreams. They just have lusts. Because when you truly have a dream, the dream in and of itself from the Lord will actually empower you to do something. Lust just make you think about it and do nothing. 
Boy, that was really, really good. Take notes for me. I'm going to probably want to unpack another sermon from that right there. It's true, especially in America, dopamine nation that we live in. We love our lusts, and then we like to spiritualize it and say it's the dream of the Lord. I better get back to my notes. So strongholds in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 6, verse 26. And build an altar to the Lord, as we stated, on top of the stronghold in an orderly way. The ESV, as well as the NASV, says stronghold is a Hebrew. It's a, a strong mountain or a mountain strong or a place of refuge or a fortified place or a defensive. God doesn't just want a stronghold removed. He wants it replaced. He wants an orderly way. Why? It's to be set in a rank or in a battle line. That's what it means. So you have to understand the concept of strongholds when we say it's the fight of your life is that you are engaged in a fight whether you realize it or not. And the reason why in the church we fail to recognize that is the fight of faith is because we live and we come from a culture in which we fight misappropriated. So what we try to do is that fight that's inside of you in the church, what we try to do is pacify the fight inside of you. Instead of pacifying the fight inside of you, it just needs to be redirected. You're not fighting out of the flesh. You're fighting out of the spirit now. And here's what I found out. The more that you fight in the spirit, the more you don't have a fight over here. But when you fight over here a lot, you're just trying to pacify. And maybe because you're not fighting over here, that's the reason why you fight so much over here. Husbands, if you'll fight in the spirit for your wife, maybe you won't fight with her so much. I'm an equal opportunity employer. Ladies, if you interceded on behalf of your husband, maybe you wouldn't nag him so much. Just saying. Mm, it got really quiet in here. I heard amens from the guys. I didn't hear amens from the women. Everyone's now drinking their coffee. <laughs> Excuse me. Cheers, everyone. Again, you don't just tear down a stronghold. You must build an altar in the place where the enemy established a stronghold. A stronghold of the enemy must be displaced by a stronghold of the Lord. You don't just tear down, but you never hear that in the church. You just, yeah, we are, you know, there are even songs about tearing down the strongholds. But nothing was ever about building the stronghold of the Lord. And your strength as a Christian is not expressed in your ability to tear things down. But it's expressed in your ability to build the right thing in your life. That's where your convictions will make its manifestation. That's the place where the rubber meets the road. This is all hollering. This is actually work over here. Hmm. Now, these strongholds in the New Testament, what are the strongholds in the New Testament? There is a clear application that is here. It is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, 4 and 5. For the weapons, say weapons. You mean I got weapons? Yeah, you got weapons. And that's the problem because you didn't know you had weapons. Weapons were being used against you by the enemy. Because you grew up in a palsied church culture and environment. You didn't. You're like, really? We're on a war? Yes. Hello. For the weapons of our what? Pleasure and vacation. 
It's not what it says. You are never promised a jacuzzi. Oh, I'm not going to go there. I don't mind soaking in the Holy Ghost. But the Bible says walk in the Holy Ghost. I'd rather walk than soak. Some people like to soak because they like the idea of living in their spiritual isolation and not doing the gospel mission. why they always want to hunker down in the church and never go out therefore into all the world i think it's called the commission of jesus not the cohabitation of jesus mm, okay let's go on i love you i'm just having fun for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh did you hear that, guys, who got anger issues? Oh, okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but have what? Divine power. The problem is, is we haven't tapped into the divine power part because we've tapped into too much of the flesh that we don't know how to detox ourselves from that system that the world taught us, that our family taught us, that the generations have taught us. That our culture has taught us, that our nationality has taught us, that we don't know how to sit there and engage the spirit of God in order to build the right strongholds within our life. Mm. They have divine power to do what? To do what? I'm going to keep saying this until y'all say it. They have divine power to do what? To destroy strongholds. It is incumbent upon the Christian to destroy strongholds. And where are they at? They're your, in your head. In your spirit. By the way, this is where your spirit's at right here. Just below your navel right here. This is where your spirit man is at. Okay? In your belly. Out of your belly shall flow rivers. So right here, out of your spirit man, this is the part that's born again. Okay? Your brain, this right here, the gray matter, how many know is up? That's where a... A high place is at from your spirit up. And that's where strongholds are lodged up in high places called your brain. That's the part that is not born again, but that's the part that needs to be renewed. By you doing what? Taking a weapon of warfare that actually has power and enslaving it. I don't actually particularly like take captive. I like, I like, uh, what was the term that I just used? Enslave. I like that. You're enslaving it. You're enslaving that thing to the obedience of Christ. What's the obedience of Christ? What does God say with regards to that issue that you have? And are you bringing confession? And you say, well, is it just about confession? No, it's about the divine power that is actually released from in your life when you bring confession. Okay, this is what I've canceled, uh, counseled, canceled people. <laughs> Maybe that too. <laughs> Not canceled. What was the word? Counseled. Thank you. Thank you. I've counseled people, especially people. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let me get another drink of water here. <laughs> oh, it's already 22 after. I only got eight minutes. Hallelujah. So you guys can stay till 3.30. Freudian slip there. Hallelujah. Where was I at? Counsel. Yeah, counsel. <laughs> I 
I'm getting drunk in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Counsel people. Let's say they got sexual issues and things like that, right? And you've cast spirits out of them. Their job right now is to now I'll walk with them and say, now pray with me. Pray stronger. Well, what do you mean pray stronger? Pray out of your spirit. Begin to pray. But what, what is the way I pray wrong? Yes, it is. Well, isn't it just, you know, God hearing me? No. Well, obviously he didn't before, so you must be praying wrong. Sorry to hurt your feelings, but it's not about your feelings, about principles of the word of God. That prayer that you operated didn't set you free. You got set free by me praying over you. Now you need to learn how I prayed so that when this thing comes to reestablish itself, you know now how to pray, not your dumb evangelical way. I'll need a refill for sure, brother. Okay. And then sit there and then tell them, when is it that you pray like this? When that thing hits you to go back to that same particular bondage of sexual perversion and things like that. That's when you rise. Up. Thank you, brother. That's when you rise up out of your spirit and bring declarations. Why? Because it is an avenue in your thought life. So you have to arrest it in its infancy. Most Christians don't arrest it. They date it. Ooh, that would be nice. I know I'm married, but ooh, she looks good. There you went. You're already gone. Six, six months from now, your marriage is going to come to an end by that type of thinking right there. You didn't arrest it. When should you arrest it? When you felt the first fluttering, ooh, and this romantic thing came upon you. That's when you should have arrested it and go, uh, 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 I know this thing right here that I felt right here in my gut. A spirit by which is impressing, it's going to escalate further. What do you do in the infancy of the fluttering of that thing? Do you arrest it or do you date it and meditate upon it? Because I can tell you within usually probably about a year, you'll be coming to visit me to get it come out. But because you didn't arrest it in its infancy, you tolerated it. You meditate upon it. You went to bed thinking about it. And here's the thing. No one has access to your head except God. He's the one who knows. This is why you have to take personal responsibility and take charge over what you think. We are living in a culture that is so emotionally driven. Whatever comes into their brain, that's why they're so confused and full of anxiety. Because they haven't learned to, to begin to take charge over what they think and arrest certain things within their life. The very fact that the Apostle Paul says that it has divine power to destroy honk, we destroy arguments and that race against the knowledge of God and take every thought captives. That means he left it incumbent upon you to arrest thoughts, not thoughts arrest you. Whenever a thought arrests you, that means that now bondage has already worked a stronghold within your life by which now you don't control it. It now controls you. That's where addiction comes in. You now can't control yourself. And now it's gone beyond the way you think. Now it actually controls your appetites. It begins to begin. It, it, listen, it's not the carrot in front. You already ate the carrot. Because all of it starts in the head. This is why Jesus began to speak about these things. It doesn't begin in the natural. It's not murder because you physically do it. It starts with hatred in the heart. 
So Jesus is teaching about how you arrest things. And this is part of the divine power that is released. Do you take charge and do you take captivity over your head? Because some people, what happens is they are not good at it because they don't commit themselves to take charge. So they end up just up in a prayer line saying, pastor, can you get rid of these things? I will. But are you willing to commit yourself to building the right thing within your life? You have to be willing to do that. And if you're not willing to do that, and there's always repeat by which you're always going through the same thing, then that tells me that you're not building the right thing or you're not building at all. And everyone says, are you getting something out of this? Yes. Praise God. I still got another hour and a half. <laughs> now we're getting to the sermon. <laughs> Let's just go through this really quickly. And I'm actually, I'm going to end this a little bit early because if I, I really will keep you here for another hour, which I'm not going to do. It's Thanksgiving, so you should give thanks that pastor is going to be short-winded. Hallelujah. <laughs> the stronghold of the Lord. How many know David was a powerful deliverer on behalf of Israel? He had something to say about strongholds, and how many know he was one of the chiefs of tearing down strongholds? Now, in Psalms chapter 27, verse 1, here the psalmist states, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I love that. In other words, nobody I'm going to fear. Why? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord himself, the person of Jesus, not the traditions, not the cut ham, not the small. No, no. Jesus himself, a person, not a religion, not even a church. Jesus himself is the stronghold of my life. Jesus as a stronghold deals with fear. This is why if you have a consistent issue with anxiety, consistent issue, which is an epidemic within our culture, it's usually because there's already some stronghold, whether you realize it or not. And through the power of prayer, let the Holy Spirit begin to spotlight certain things within your life that you may indeed have to tear down. And listen, let me encourage you in this. You, too, can tear down strongholds within your own life. It doesn't just require a prayer line, though. I love those things. Come on. Are you here? I love it when when strongholds are torn down at the altar. But how many know you don't have to wait for an altar call? That you can make a personal decision within your life to tear down strongholds that God reveals to you while you're sitting there sipping your cappuccino on your lazy boy, opening up the Bible early in the morning when no one's there in the Holy Spirit. And then you come up and you rise up and you tear down certain things within your life and then build the right things in your life. And everyone says Psalms chapter 28. We're just going right through Psalms. Psalms 28, 8 states this. It says the Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress, the same Hebrew word is fortress of salvation for his anointed one. How many are anointed here? Amen. Oh, come on. All right. A few of you are. <laughs> He's a stronghold for you and I. Yeah. We are called Christians. You and I are called Christians. Those who are like Christ. Christ is the anointed one. He is in us and he comes upon us. We have the promise that he indeed is our stronghold. Let us cleave to him in Jesus name. Because of his anointing on my life, I know he is my stronghold. And everyone says, 
Psalms chapter 31. 31. Verse 2 to 4, which is 2 to 4. I'm learning. It says, turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge. That word is stronghold. So he becomes a rock. He becomes a stronghold. A fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. Watch this. For you are my stronghold or refuge. You see, when you make Jesus your stronghold, you can believe for a trap-free life. However, let me nuance it and clarify it. However, sometimes you may fall into a trap. You see, this NIV version right here seems to indicate he saves me from the trap. But I want you to show the ESV. It indicates he saves you from the trap you're in. So which one is it? The ESV says, you take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my what? Stronghold, or you are my refuge. So it seems like the NIV, and I'm an ESV guy and an NASB because it's more word literal. NIV, I do it just for ease of reading. But listen, between these two things, which one is it? Are you ready for the answer? It's both. He will keep you from a trap, But he will also, if you fall into a trap, he becomes your stronghold while in it. So how do I know it? Because verse uh, 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 Psalms chapter 31, verse five states this. This is the very next verse. It says into your hands, I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Do you know who quoted this psalm right here? Jesus, while he was up on the cross. Jesus said, into uh, your hands, I commit my spirit. How many know that Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 7, says, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. He must be crucified and on the third day raised again. So how many know Jesus was not delivered, but yet he yielded to it because he knew that was part of the process of the father. So he was not delivered. He was delivered into the hands of sinners. But how many know he was actually delivered? He was delivered from death. So it's actually both of them. Watch this. Acts chapter 2, verse 27 says this. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. So he will both save you from a trap, but then he'll also pull you out of his trap. Why? Because he is a stronghold and he is a defense. He is a refuge of our life. You can always count on Jesus to be that stronghold on your behalf. Psalms chapter 37, verse 39. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. You're not guaranteed a trouble-free life. But when Jesus is your stronghold, you can be free from the trouble. Some people who have a trouble-free life out here are actually in here, are actually in trouble. You have to determine which trouble is it. Is the trouble outside of you or is the trouble going to be free from you? You see, what's important is what's out here going out in the world system doesn't become part of the preoccupation and part of your meditations, which now defines who you are, by which the trouble out there becomes one with the trouble that's now inside of you. And everyone says, 
Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. He's a great builder. We're all builders in the house of God here. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve. And everybody knows this last stanza of, of this verse right here. For the joy of the Lord is your it's actually stronghold. The joy of the Lord, we say, is your strength. He's actually your stronghold. So when you stir yourself up in the joy of the Lord and the happiness of the Holy Ghost, it actually becomes a stronghold on your behalf. It's not just about your emotional disposition. It's actually a spiritual strength inside of you. It's not just an emotional provocation. It's actually an endowment of the, the spirit of God on the inside of you, giving you strength to be a stronghold. And how many know if there's a stronghold by which he comes upon you, there is something missional that you have to accomplish within your life. It really gives a different paradigm of Acts chapter two at the day of Pentecost. They're not drunk as you suppose. I want you to think about that for a moment. If the joy of the Lord is our stronghold, did the Holy Ghost come upon them is now as a stronghold. I am now going to be your fortress by which now you can go forth and preach the gospel with signs and wonders. And even though the preaching of the world is going to preaching of the word is going to cause disturbance, it's going to cause trouble. The trouble will no longer be in you because I have now become your shelter. I am now your stronghold. I am now your refuge and it won't de determine your course within this life. You see, oftentimes in the church, we fail to understand that all ministry proceeds out of that shelter, that refuge of the Lord. This is why when Jesus, the baptism of the Holy, when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon them, he went to be tested. And after the testing, he went forth in great power. He went forth in great strength that is reserved for us. But notice the divine process that is involved. We have to be committed, not just to tearing things down, but building the right thing. And everyone says, amen. amen and amen. The Sermon on the Mount. I'm hurrying up, guys. I still got another 45 minutes. The Sermon on the Mount. How many know the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, two people. Praise the Lord. Oftentimes, we think this is just about the Beatitudes. But did you know that the Sermon on the Mount is three chapters and includes total 111 verses? The Beatitudes are just 10 to 12 verses in that first chapter. And let me just break down really quickly, because this is Jesus's assault upon strongholds to help people walk in discernment. That's my job as a pastor is not just to preach good, to hype you up, to pump you up. Part of that is to release the spiritual strength so that you continue on in what you heard to do it and to apply it so that you can receive victory in your personal life. If I just pump you up, but I don't actually empower you, there's a difference between being pumped up and being empowered. How many know you can go pumped up and it's emotional, but it actually did not supply you with a weapon or a tool to build beyond the inspiration of that moment. But being being encouraged and being empowered gives you tools to be able to live a victorious life. In chapter five, this is what Jesus says. You have heard it said, but I say. 
How many know that? When Jesus, in fact, he made several of those statements. He, he's, he made several statements. You heard it said, but I say to you. He said that regarding murder. He said that regarding adultery. He said that regarding divorce. He said that regarding oaths. He said that regarding eye for eye. And then six, he said that regarding love your enemies. You have heard it said, right? All those things. All of these things are, 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 you heard it said. Now, here's the interesting thing. Who was there at the Sermon on the Mount? All kinds of people were there. Large gathering was there. How many know there was probably some religious people there too? And they were really good at saying, it is said. Come on, are you here? Or it is written. Right? There would have been a lot of people, you heard it said. You heard it said. But then Jesus takes it up to a nuts level. And in so doing, he's confronting strongholds intermittently throughout the congregation. I'm sure when he heard it is said, I'm sure there were some hypocrites that were there in Pharisees. Oh, I've said that. I say that all the time. How dare. Right? So he's dealing actually with strongholds even in the Sermon on the Mount. How about in chapter 6? You know what chapter 6 is full of? The do nots. Do not do this. They're commands that are actually given. He says do not. And the do nots include prayer. It includes fasting. Treasures here on earth. Do not worry. Do not judge. So are those things. For example, with fasting. Do not. And then he begins to. He says, do not be like the hypocrites. Who go around somber. But for you, this is what you should do. Now, how many know there were probably some Pharisees that came to the meeting like this? I'm fasting. Look how skinny I am. Low blood sugar. I'm grumpy. I'm fasting. I'm spiritual. Look at me. Right? Regarding prayer. Don't sit there with long prayer so that men can look at me. How many know there were probably some of those people that were there at that meeting? The Sermon on the Mount is an assault of strongholds. That he was sensing, and he wants to bring it up to a next level. So even in the ministry of Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually assaulting. This is why he even talks. He says, hypocrites. In other words, play actors. How many know there was play actors in the church that, that morning? Some of them might have stomped out. I don't like this. Why? Because Jesus was actually assaulting wrong mindsets, strongholds, to help the people to have a right being attitude, right spirit about them. How about chapter 7? Chapter 7 is about comparison contrasts. The comparison contrasts, what were they? How about the narrow and the wide gate? That's a compare and contrast. How about true and false prophets? That's a compare and contrast. How about true and false disciples? That's a compare and contrast. A wise and a foolish builder. How many know that's a compare and contrast? And how many know there was probably those in the compare and the contrast in which he's doing that. What does Jesus want to do specifically with his disciples? He wants to sharpen their discernment so that the strongholds are broken. He's actually literally tearing down strongholds within their life so that they can build the right spirit and the right attitude and in so doing build up the right uh, fortresses, the stronghold of the Lord within them. You know, in the American church, we have pastoral cowards. They call themselves pastors, but cowards in the church. And I'm not indicting everybody, but as a general rule, oftentimes people aren't willing to stand up for the truth of the word of God. And then they wonder why the word of God 
doesn't go forth in great power. Because listen, the power of God is not going to be released through a coward. It has to be those who are willing to stand for what the truth. And I'm not talking about, let me quality, I'm not talking about being me, the Bible says, and browbeating people with the Bible. But we're talking about presenting the truth because God loves people and wants to save people. He wants strongholds torn down. Because the discipline of the Lord is going to be much better for you than the destruction of the enemy. Some people fail to understand that principle right there. Why is God so mean? Why is God doing these things? Why is he disciplined so strong? What's the alternative? The devil wants to destroy your life. He wants to begin to rebuild things within your life. And God knows I need to discipline him as hard as I can because on the back end of this thing, what you don't see in the future is what's reserved for you is the destruction of the enemy if he gets a foothold within your life. I know it's a little... Let me tell this story. I remember when I was doing deliverance on this person up in Nepal. He was a person that people would go to. He was a medium. And so he would, he would sit there and talk about people's future and things like that. And uh, he was having all kinds of trouble. And uh, me, and it was actually Pastor Derek, we went up there and we went to go pray for him and he got gloriously delivered. And there, we gave him a very, very strong warning. We said, listen, you cannot go back to these things because when the devil comes back to you, he will actually come to take your life. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I've committed my ways to the Lord. I've committed my ways to the Lord. And so we ended up finding out that the pressures, because that was his vocation, he ended up yielding to his, his, his people that were there because they would pay him money in order to do that. He said, well, I'm just going to do it one time. And when he went to go do it, do you know what ended up happening to that guy? The spirits came back, as the Bible says, seven times worse, and he literally lost his mind. He went crazy. And what we had heard when we were up, he was up in the tribal, running throughout the area, screaming. This is what he was saying. We were Americans, of course. He said, the Americans are coming to kill me. And he was going raving as a lunatic. We had to go up there, get him, and actually commit him to a mental institution. What is my point? Here is a person that was gloriously delivered, but failed to understand that when something's torn down, you have to build up the right thing within your life. You have to replace that stronghold with the stronghold of the Lord. Now, this is extreme. Come on, are you here? But what subtle foxes has spoiled the vine within your life? What small strongholds does the enemy say, I have a foothold in this little tiny area, but I can increase it if I can get him to date it rather than take it captive? And then build upon it to where now it becomes something by which addictions are flowing through your life and you have no victory. You no longer control it because you don't, haven't taken it captive in its infancy within the mind. And now it controls the dictates in the course of your life. It now defines and literally directs. It's not the Lord directing your life. It's now the strongholds that are directing the life. Stand to your feet right now. How many know this is serious business? Committing your way to the Lord. You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Enjoy.